So I have a friend, Betsy. She's a professional. She's brilliant. She is a go-getter. Well, about 30 years ago, she was having lunch with some friends that were also all very, you know, in their respective fields, top of their field, all professionals. And one of them from the DA's office mentioned that they didn't have a house for domestic violence victims to go in their county. So law enforcement had to either go to a neighboring county or the victim was just on her own, either to go back to the violent home or somehow find a hotel room or a friend or family to go to. Well, that didn't sit well with Betsy. She was a real estate agent. And she's like, look, those of us that are at this table can do something about this. We can easily find a home that economically we can afford and get some grants and get the DA and the sheriff and the police and city council, everybody involved, and we can handle this. So she went to work looking for a home and she found one. And that house has been up and running and caring for victims for 30 years. It's all because five friends went to lunch. Today, I've got two friends that decided to get together every now and then over lunch and talk about a case that they just could not let go of. They couldn't get it out of their mind. They couldn't get it out of their heart. And they decided, we gotta do something about it. I often tell people, when I start a case, I start at the end. And that's not only logical for a crime scene investigator, but it's also imperative for me because where it ended matters. Because the perpetrator selected it. They selected the day, the time, and the location, and the victim, period. Tonight, I'm talking about the case of Missy Beavers in Midlothian, Texas. This little town in 2020 had just over 35,000 people. That translates to a little over 10,000 households, which translates in just a little over 8,000 families. So your suspect pool is right there. The largest employer of this town is the school district. Next, you've got Target and Walmart. So this is a small town. Where this crime occurred is the Creekside Church of Christ. This happened April 18th, 2016, during a thunderstorm before dawn. Now, Missy Beavers enters the church to set up for an exercise class that she runs. The killer is already inside the church. Are they waiting for her? Or did she interrupt a burglary? The night before, Sunday night, Missy sends all her students an information over social media that, hey, there's a bad storm coming, but we're going to have class anyway. Normally, they have it out in the parking lot, but she has told them because of this storm, we'll be inside the church. Now, Missy gets there and gets inside the church unloading her equipment about 4.18 a.m. The first student to arrive was around 5 a.m., and they found her body. Now, there's surveillance footage from inside the church. The cameras on the outside of the church were not working. But what that footage shows is this subject is walking up and down the church hallways. They have a hammer in their hand, and occasionally they just bust out glass. Occasionally they try to open doors. It looks like the doors to the different Sunday school classrooms. And they're wearing 
a SWAT uniform that is clearly marked police. They have a very unusual gait. I'm not sure if that's because something is heavy in a pocket and is hitting their leg or if they're injured or if that's just how they walk. Before her death, she did receive, and this is a quote, creepy messages, end quote, from an unknown male. It stops you dead in your tracks right from, you know, jump straight. And it's a woman that's killed that's not the preacher or the first lady or the organist. I mean, she's there, but she's not really there. She's part of the church, but she's not really part of the church. That got my attention immediately. A murder inside a church is rare. And the victim being a woman is rare. And it doesn't appear that it's for robbery. I, it's not like money was missing or a Gutenberg Bible or something, right? Nothing of great value was missing. So I want to welcome Renee and Crystal from Crime Broads to Zone 7. And I got to tell you, I've, I've been on their show. I love the way they operate. I like the way they see the world. I like the way they go after a case. And I think today y'all are going to hear from two people that you're going to want to hear more from. And you're going to maybe want to gravitate toward their podcast as well. Crystal and Renee, welcome to Zone 7. Thank you so much for having us, Cheryl. Yeah, we're so thankful to be here. Are you kidding? <laughs> Listen, not only is the case we're going to talk about so important, but I think the way y'all got together and the way y'all decided to do a podcast is something people need to hear because civilians, as it were, can always do something. I mean, Betsy finding the house and them deciding we're going to put the money up and get some grants to help domestic violence victims to what y'all did. So tell us a little bit about how y'all got together before we get into the case. Well, Renee and I met in the Facebook groups for the Missy Beavers case. We were in there chatting and I had never followed a case like this before when there's Facebook groups corresponding to the case and people are in there talking about things that are being released in the media and what's your take on this? And hey, did somebody see that search warrant that the media released? And everyone's in there just dissecting everything. I had never experienced that before. And I was quite fascinated with the case and with these Facebook groups. And Renee and I noticed each other in several of the groups and we eventually started talking. And that was back not long after the murder. I think it was January of 2017 when we started to really get close. And um, we talked on the phone and she was, she knew Missy. I'll let her tell you more about that. And we just got to where we couldn't hardly think about anything else. We were just into this case and we couldn't believe that a woman our age with kids the same age as mine, you're just trying to earn extra money for your family. And something like this could happen to you seemingly out of the blue. And we just really needed to make some sense of it and try to figure out what happened to Missy. It is one of the most bizarre cases ever for me because nothing about it makes any sense. Not the location, not the perpetrator, not the clothing, not what anybody was doing there. Like there, nothing seems to be connected. And this is somewhere y'all live near, correct? This is Renee, and I live uh, about five minutes from the church. I live in Waxahachie, which is just bordering to Midlothian. So you knew the victim. Right. Me and Missy worked together back in 2014 for a company called Vault Denim. And what it was, was she had the, the jeans and I would go check them out from her. And we saw each other on a weekly basis. Tell me about her. Missy was, she was uh, very, very humble. 
I remember having conversations with her about fitness and things like that. And I was like, man, you're so strong. You pick up these because the bags of jeans were just huge and so heavy. She would pick them up just so easy. And I would always say, you know, oh my gosh, you're so strong. And she would just, you know, kind of blush and, oh no, you, you can do it too. You know, if she was very private, she was very caring and very kind. And I just, I will always remember that about her. A mom living in a small town, trying to make extra money. Nothing wild, nothing crazy, nothing completely out of the ordinary for anybody. No, she had three daughters at the time of the murder. They were pretty little. Her oldest one was about about to get her driver's license, you know. Youngest one was still in elementary. So they were same age as my kids. That's why it's easy for me to remember that. And, um, you know, she was a mom doing mom things, running them to practice and running them to rehearsals and taking care of them, cooking dinner, shopping, um, running errands, teaching her gladiator classes real early in the morning. And then she had another one later in the morning that she would teach. Just really busy mom. So when y'all decided, okay, we're going to take this case home, and y'all looked at it, outline this case for everybody. Missy showed up to teach her camp gladiator class, and she pulls up. It's still dark, like you said. It's raining. And She's unloading her stuff. And this is routine. She was probably kind of on autopilot like we all are. She was probably still a little groggy. It, good grief, it was four something in the morning. So her class was supposed to start at five, but she always got there early. And she had some people that would get there at 430 to work out early. So she was in her routine. She was just unloading things and walked in, flipped on some lights and the next thing you know, she's confronted by this creature wearing full tactical gear, police gear. And they're just kind of walking. So if you go back and you look at this video, to me, the walk is, it's unusual. There's a different kind of a, a noticeable gait that would get your attention. Almost a limp, almost kind of a drag of a foot. But it's casual. They're not running. They're not in a hurry. They don't even seem to be mad about anything. They just seem to be checking some doors and they have a hammer where they're busting out some windows. And it's weird. Like you don't know if you're just watching the video and you don't know that a murder has occurred. It almost seems like this is off. Yeah. This person is off. The location is off. What they're doing inside there is off. I don't get it. Like, what are you showing me? Yeah, they, right? they just look like they're fiddling with some doorknobs and pe mm -hmm. peeking indoors. Casually walking down the hall. Yeah, not in any Casually. not in any hurry. Yeah, And it doesn't look like, you know, most, most of the time for me, when you break into a church, you're going to go right to the office where you think the money might have been collected on Sunday and they can't deposit it till Monday. Or is there something of value there historically, right? None of that seems to be the case. They're not looking and rummaging through drawers in an office that would make sense. They're literally going into Sunday school classrooms where there's not going to be anything in there, but, you know, some craft stuff and, you know, little bitty Bibles and nothing. I mean, there's nothing of value. So the question becomes, are they waiting? Oh, Missy, are they laying in wait? Because I will say this. If you're just watching the video, it doesn't appear to me they're laying in wait. Right, because they're wandering around. 
what do y'all think about the church? Why that location? You know, that's where Missy taught her Camp Gladiator classes. And she posted those very publicly. She had her Facebook wide open. Um, she wanted people to see the posts because, um, you know, they get paid based on more people attending. So and having successful classes, those were intentionally posted where everybody could see them. So she would say, hey, we're going to be at the Creekside Church. First class is at 5 a.m. If it's raining, we're still training. Come on down. You know, don't let the rain stop you. We're glad you says you're gladiators is what she said. We're still going to go for it. And we'll be under the awning if it's raining. So if somebody was stalking her, she's telling them they're, I'm here. This is my location. And if they knew that she got there very early, then bingo, there's their opportunity. Because, you know, she lived in her house with her three kids and her husband. So I guess if some crazy person wanted to get her alone, that would be a good, that pla- would be a good place. That'd be a really good mm-hmm. place to do it. And where the perpetrator parked, she wouldn't have even seen that car the way she came in and parked, correct? Yeah, the church sits at an angle. So when you go down the highway, it's not, you know, the same direction. It's actually catty corner. So the part where they entered the church was completely hidden even when she pulls in the parking lot because the way the driveway goes, it just completely out of sight. For me, if you say, okay, was the church the target? It doesn't appear that the church is the target to me. Totally agree. Well, I remember what you said on our episode a long, long time ago. You said she could have, the perpetrator could have torn that place up mm-hmm. real good and they chose not to. Yeah, that's right. I mean, because you look and you say, okay, well, if they broke into the church because they were angry at the church and that was their target, the stained glass was not knocked out. The organ wasn't set on fire. I mean, there were things that they just didn't do that you think they would have done, there really wasn't a lot of damage in the building. Right. Even the one door that you see them on the surveillance footage um, attempting, and I just use that loosely to to get into, they weren't even really trying. They were just tapping. And didn't they break some windows, or am I mistaken about that? They did. There was a few windows that were broken. But But again, it wasn't the stained glass. It wasn't the rosary window. This was a Monday, correct? Yes, early, early Monday morning. If you believe that they collected a lot of money on Sunday, but wasn't going to deposit it until Monday, this person wasn't going after money. So moving on from that, when y'all would get together, now I do know that y'all would get together some and talk about it over lunch, and it was just the two of you. You weren't recording, and you could just talk like you want to. Did y'all have any initial feelings about what this was, what you were watching. I feel like it was um, just a show, you know, like they were on camera, just make it, trying to make it look like it was a burglary. And I I guess they didn't put enough effort into it because it, it's pretty obvious to me it wasn't. I well, think it was just a show. And I think that we thought, we we didn't know. I remember our early conversations were, we went with murder for hire and we also went with passionate um, obviously not a crime of passion because that would happen like in the moment. This looks very premeditated, but I mean, when I say passionate, I meant maybe um, a woman scorned. So I think that those were our two initial things that we talked about is did somebody pay the craziest person they knew to go kill Missy or 
Is this someone who thought they were really personally wronged by Missy confronting her? Again, if you're just watching the video, this person has clearly hidden their face. They're hiding their body. And I agree with you. It looks like the staging has begun. So they're forcing you to think, oh, this person is just some nut that's broken into the church in a costume. However, they came murder ready. And for me, that changes everything because you brought not one weapon, but two. Yeah, it was quite a while after the murder took place that we found out. And it's pretty much been confirmed online and through people we've talked to that Missy was shot. Um, I think that the media tried to keep that a secret, and we obviously went along with that until it was just everywhere. It's out. I mean, we've heard national news programs say she was shot, so we finally just went ahead and started talking about it, too. But, yeah, she was apparently shot, although the initial reports from the media, Midlothian police told the media that she was bludgeoned, that she had puncture wounds. That's the way they said it. They didn't say bludgeoned. I think we inferred that. Yeah, Yeah, they said that she died by puncture wounds to the head and chest. So I don't know if they were trying to not commit, you know, and keep the keep it open that she was shot. I really don't know. But unfortunately, if police was trying to keep that a secret, it it got out because it's on murderdata.org. And there was no other 45-year-old woman murdered in Midlothian, Texas on that day. It was, everyone knew it was Missy on that website. And then, like I said, it, it leaked out of the, into the news quite a bit as well. Well, you know, it's always good to keep something close to the vest in case the perpetrator says something that only he would know or she would know. So, for example, if he said, well, I slit their throats, that is not public. So if you said that, it's you. So that only helps. Not only is the confession going to be more solid, you know, maybe that's what law enforcement was doing, thinking this person has gone to such extremes, getting the outfit, knowing where to park, doing it the right time of day, and she's the only one there and all that sort of stuff that with it being that premeditated and them having the weapons that maybe they will want to set the record straight, you know, like a Zodiac or son of Sam, they can't take it. They have to reach out to law enforcement to correct some wrong they've seen that you're not talking about it correctly. Tell, you know, just some of the cool stuff y'all have done, like the billboard. Okay. So the billboard began in October of 2020. We decided to uh, put a billboard up to keep people talking about it, get tips coming in. And um, so we reached out to our listeners and they are amazing. They all came together quickly. We had it up for two and a half years and then it got switched over because it it was, they're not cheap, as you know. We got Crime Stoppers. They uh, said that they would take it over. And, uh, and that's where it's being held today. It's, it's moved to a different location, which is another billboard, but it's now in Midlothian, which is good. Yeah. We were amazed at how quickly our, our listeners pitched in and sent in money for that billboard. That was amazing. The fund, the fundraising effort was no effort at all. They just did it. People care deeply about this case. Of course. And people are connected to y'all and people are connected in the true crime community. And I tell people that all the time, love wins. I say it constantly. You didn't have to know her. You didn't have to know her children. But just hearing the story and then having the ability to watch part of the video, you would be compelled to act. But again, I think it's important for y'all to talk a little bit about y'all's background before y'all got into the podcast. 
So we're either one of y'all in law enforcement. We're either one of y'all trained in investigations, anything at all. No, nothing. As a matter of fact, we are moms and we were just kind of itching to do something. Our kids are getting bigger. I know for me, I was looking for something to do and I've always loved true crime. So it was good timing just to sort of jump into something now that my kids weren't so dependent on me as they used to be, of course. And um, but yeah, Renee and I are both true crime fans. We've followed cases and but this I think this is probably the case. I think I can speak for both of us that drew us in on an extremely personal level. And we just researched it and researched it constantly. And that was why we started the podcast. We had so much research between us. We had gotten public records. We had done all this stuff. And finally, we thought maybe we, because we were having new people coming to the Facebook groups wanting to be caught up. And we thought, you know, it might just be easier to get a podcast like this, yeah. yeah, and just sort of put it all out there. We'll do some episodes and we'll share these search warrants and we'll share this, you know, the public records and we'll interview some people. And, you know, Midlothian police has been very tight lipped on this case. As you know, we don't know what that means and that's okay. Um, we hope that it gets solved quickly. We don't know. Like I said um, the other day, we don't know if they are on the brink of making an arrest or if they're completely lost. I mean, that's how quiet they've been. So, you know, I think people like the podcast just because people are desperate to hear updates. And we, uh, while we may not have the updates, you know, on how law enforcement's doing, we can at least discuss sort of what has happened over the past. It's been over seven years. That was uh, that was April of 2016, if you can believe it. A lot's happened since then. Some information's kind of leaked out. There's been stuff we've speculated on. I mean, it's just been all over the place. There's been so many different POIs we've heard about. And we don't know what's going on with law enforcement, though. It's 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 really baffling. Like you said earlier, this thing is going on and on. For me, um, I, I, um, I did a lot of searching uh, as a kid to find my family because um, I was adopted. And um, I guess it was very satisfying to be able to search for something and find it. And I always was interested in true crime because it's interesting. So when my kids were younger, I started taking criminal justice classes and uh, always wanted to be an investigator. And then they started talking about being a police officer. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to be a police officer. I just want to be an investigator. So I kind of put it to the side. And then, like Crystal said, our kids got older and less dependent on us, not doing any more of the running around to games and all that fun stuff. And so just found a little more time, I guess, to have a hobby that we enjoyed. And I just got interested in this case, knowing her. And it just, uh, we've tried to kind of let it go years ago and just didn't happen. Well, let me ask you a question you may or may not know. Do you know how many people are on the police Facebook page? From Midlothian police or, or individuals that are on their page? No, just how many people have liked their page or oh, followed their page? Um, quite a few. Um, there's never any post about the Missy Beavers case on their page. We used to check it periodically and now we just don't check it at all anymore. They don't talk about the mid you know, about the Missy Beavers case. So but yeah, we'll have to look how many I think Renee's looking it up for us right now. That'd be great. Twenty three thousand. What? Twenty three thousand. Okay. I bet twenty thousand of those joined since the Missy Beavers case. Right. Yeah. I can guarantee it, and that's where I was going. And then my next question was, do you know how many downloads y'all have had or fans y'all have had? Just give me a number if you know it. We have about two hundred and sixty thousand downloads at this point. So my point, and I try to make this all the time with new investigators, rookie CSIs, the media which is what y'all are, 
can reach more people than the police could ever dream. So when you're talking about 23,000 people that may see a post, if they were to say, hey, y'all, does anybody recognize this car? Does anybody recognize whatever they may come up with that they want general information? Y'all can reach over 200,000 people. And if y'all say, hey, we want to ask this friend and that friend and these other friends, y'all could reach half a million people in a day, whereas the local police couldn't dream of that number. Media, whether it's a podcast or somebody from the New York Times or Dateline, is the best tool for law enforcement if they know how to use it. So they can keep things close to the vest. That's great. But here's the bottom line for me. I would not know about this case at all if it weren't for y'all. And I ain't the only one. So y'all, to me, are single-handedly keeping this case alive. And that, to me, is so critical because somebody out there knows. They have to. Why do you think that law enforcement, local law enforcement, Midlothian police has chosen to step away from the media? They haven't updated the media in how long? Four years? Three years. Well, three and a half years. Yeah. Nothing. Just not a peep on this case. There could be a lot of reasons. One, they may have a real idea of who it is and can't prove it yet. The other reason could be if we don't have anything new to report, we are going to get railed. We are going to be called incompetent. We're going to be called lazy. They're going to say we're corrupt. We're hiding somebody because they're our confidential informant. They don't want that because they don't want anything to muddy what they are trying to do. They, I guarantee you, are fully aware of what y'all are doing. They are fully aware of what Crime Stoppers has received, obviously. They might have even gotten their own individual notifications from the billboard that y'all aren't even aware that y'all have generated information. Because here's the thing, law enforcement knows what I know, and that's generally people are killed for three reasons. That's it. Money, sex, and revenge. That's it. Well, if she wasn't sexually assaulted and nothing was taken, that leaves revenge. Well, that means your suspect pool is less than five people. This was not a woman that had a lot of enemies. She didn't screw people over. So now you're looking at the obvious things, and this would be in any investigation. You want to know about affairs, real or perceived. Just because somebody flirts with somebody doesn't mean they're having an affair. She's obviously in great shape. Somebody mad about that. Did she owe somebody or did this person think she owed them? And then there's a fourth one. The fourth reason people are killed is because the killer is crazy. Not only is that person difficult to locate and identify, they typically have no connection to the victim at all. So now you've got somebody that's going to order, receive, and dress up in a SWAT uniform, drive what conceivably is their own vehicle, to a church in the dark, in the rain. They risked being stopped and somebody seeing they're in this SWAT uniform. They risked having a wreck, hydroplaning. They risked being seen by Missy before the interaction. They risked all that. Are they crazy? I mean, who brings a hammer and a gun? And uses both. And uses both. And both aren't necessary. 
So now we have a little overkill. We have a little possibly even postmortem. Who walks around for 30 minutes just checking doorknobs, knocking a few windows out, and just sauntering around? It wasn't long after Missy walked in, unfortunately, that she was killed. So they were able to hop into murder mode pretty fast. So not only did you come murder ready, you committed the murder immediately. And then you just leave. And barely missed all the uh, people that arrived to be in her class. Yeah, Cheryl, something we found out later, probably, I don't know, a couple of years into the case, was that Missy had two women who routinely came in at 4.30. They wanted to get their workout done early. And the director of Camp Gladiator was telling me that Missy would just kind of spot them and say, hey, yeah, just make sure you keep your leg up, you know, and stuff while she was setting up for the regular class at five. But she would let those two women come in at 4.30. Ironically, that morning, one of them saw that it was raining and she said, forget it and rolled back over and went to bed. The other lady that was supposed to be there at 4.30 got a flat tire. And by the time her son came and rescued her and switched the tire, she didn't get there till five. So you have to wonder the perpetrator must not have known that there was normally two women there at 4.30 because that would have been cutting it even closer than we already knew, thought they were, you know. So that's just incredible. I don't know how that would have changed things. I don't know if the perp would have killed all three of them or if those two, somebody out of the group would have seen the perp and maybe they could have gotten to safety. I don't know how it would have changed things, but I have to believe maybe the perp wasn't quite sophisticated enough to know that detail. Well, I tell you, you've got a small town. You've got people that are, you know, tied to their patterns and they typically, again, take their kids to the same place, pick them up the same way, socialize the same way, go to the same grocery store, go to the same workout, go to the same church. Anytime somebody breaks a pattern, it should be highlighted. Anytime somebody didn't show up for work that morning or showed up and was acting different. All of these things should have been recorded by somebody. And I firmly believe that there are people in that town that have a gut feeling, have a suspicion, notice something and are waiting for law enforcement to come talk to them. And I'm going to urge people, if you saw something, even if you don't think it's relevant or you don't know how it fits, tell them. Even if you think they're going to, oh, they're just going to ignore me and think I'm a crazy woman if I tell them that I think I saw that car at 1 o'clock in the morning or at noon that afternoon, tell them they may that may be the thing that just breaks this thing wide open. We are talking to two people that did not know each other, that got together, that formed a friendship, that formed an alliance, that went to work on this case, has generated tips and information, has put up billboards, has advocated for this woman and her children, and they have done so beautifully. Civilians solve crime all the time. I tell y'all, Zodiac, DC Sniper, civilians were involved in those cases getting to where they are today. Renee and Crystal, I'm a huge fan. I appreciate y'all spending some time with me, and I'm going to let y'all have any last word that y'all want to say about Missy or the case or what people can do and how people can find you. We're just so thankful to be on your show, Cheryl. We're huge Zone 7 fans ourselves, and we're just thrilled that you invited us on. And we're hoping that your listeners, hopefully it's a new um, group of people that we haven't been able to reach before. If you'll just um, follow Missy's case, 
True Crime Broads, of course, we're on all the social media. We're on, um, we try to put out any update that we hear. We're on Instagram, True Crime Broads. Our Facebook page is called True Crime Broads. We have a discussion group, if you want to come into it, called Uh, Missy Beaver's True Crime Discussion. I always forget the name. Thank you. And then um, we also would urge anyone who's local who might have any information, please call Midlothian Police or call Crime Stoppers. The Midlothian number is 972-775-3333. There is an independent reward of $150,000. If you call Crime Stoppers and remain anonymous, the reward is up to 1000 could possibly be more uh, depending on the information. That number is 972-937-7297, P-A-Y-S. Something else interesting that came out of all this is now Renee is on the board of the Ellis County Crime Stoppers. It's actually technically called Crime Stoppers of Ellis County. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so she's working closely with them, which is fantastic. And um, we're just would appreciate if people would follow Missy's case and spread the word. It's possible that her perpetrator is no longer in the area. If you hear anybody talking crazy about something they did in Texas, please report it because this case is unsolved and it, um, it's been a long seven years. And, you know, I got to tell, when we were at CrimeCon together, y'all were leaving CrimeCon and going to the crime scene. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember... You turned around, you're like, hey, come get in the car with us, girl. <laughs> that would have been awesome. I was ready to ditch my family, <laughs> ditch my sisters, <laughs> tell Walt I will catch up with y'all somehow. <laughs> I wanted to go so bad because there is nothing that takes the place of seeing it and walking it. And yeah, there's a highway out there, but is it, I mean, it's not like, 85 Mm-mm. cutting through Atlanta. No, and, no. it's definitely right. not Dallas. I've actually yeah. been there on that highway. It is not even a tiny portion of that. <laughs> right. And that's why it's important to walk it, to see it, to see where the church is, how close is the next business or building or home. It would be imperative for me how that person came in and the direction of travel when they left. I want to know all of it. I want to drive that route. Yeah, Cheryl, when you finally do see this church, you're going to be like we were. We were shocked at how small it is. Those cameras up in the corner make that place look huge, but it mm. was small. We walked the whole church in just a few minutes. Yeah, we were we were shocked. We were like, oh my goodness, this is nothing like what we expected. <laughs> yeah, we got to make that happen. And again, I appreciate y'all. I'm going to end zone seven the way that I always do with a quote. There is no branch of detective science which is so important and so neglected as the art of tracing footsteps. Arthur Dole. In the case of Missy Beavers, they need to trace every step she took and where her life intersected with that killer may lay some answers. I'm Cheryl McCollum, and this is Zone 7. <laughs>